You know, anytime I share something important with my children, I have a tendency to announce it. You do this. It's like, hey, listen, what I'm about to tell you is really important. And that means I'm about to give them something that we call words to live by. These are words that I want them to remember, not just that day, but I want them to remember these words for years to come. I want them to be etched in their memory. Can you remember certain words that your parents or grandparents said to you that have stuck with you over the years that continue to shape your decisions now? Anybody? Oh, come on. Surely Miss Charlotte said something memorable over the years. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I have the habit of announcing it that I'm about to give them a nugget of wisdom. On the way home from a long week of camp, I shared the following nugget with them. You know, what you hear is that he who dies with the most toys wins. I said that's not true. Luke 16 actually tells us that he who dies with the most friends wins. And what I was saying to them was in life, when you approach any new person that you don't know, you have the potential to have either an ally or an enemy in life. And rather than pursuing things, you need to really do your best to make friends and make allies. Or at least remain neutral, right, with people who could become enemies. And eventually, over time, those enemies might become friends. So he who has the most friends wins. So each week, we're going to talk about a word to live by from Scripture that will help you to navigate the length of time, because we've all got a limited length of time that God has given us to trod this clod, so to speak. He's given us a limited amount of time. Today we're going to talk about the word conviction. Now, a conviction is a firmly held belief or opinion that shapes our behavior. Do you have some convictions? If I were to give you a chance to tell me what's something that you're convicted about, something you feel strongly about. Give me an example. Praising the Lord. Okay, praising the Lord. What else? Being godly parents. Being godly parents. Okay, you're convicted about the importance. That's why you have your children in church on Sunday morning. Absolutely. Serving. Serving is a conviction. You're convinced that this is important. So we have convictions. When we're young, we start out with no working knowledge of the world, right? We don't know anything. We just kind of toddle around. We say goo-goo-ga-ga, we eat, we sleep, we repeat, okay? When we get a little bit older, through experience, we begin to form beliefs about life in the world. A lot of them come from our parents, right? You, you find children and they start saying what they think, and it's kind of cute because it's obvious they've heard that somewhere else. And if you're a parent and they're saying something bad, you want to know where they heard it, right? <laughs> who, who, who said that to you? But when we move into adulthood, these beliefs, these things that we think, they solidify into convictions. And so this is no longer what mom and dad think. Remember that age? With the first time you really disagreed with your parents? And I'm not talking about when you're a child and you want candy and they say no. I'm talking about when you're an adult and you have an adult disagreement with something that your parents have said or a value that they hold. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It's like mom and dad don't know everything. And I have a different opinion. This is now what I think. The problem is that our convictions can be based on a faulty foundation. I mean, you can be really convinced of something, but if the foundation is faulty, it can be inaccurate, and it can lead to, to sad outcomes. So, for instance, if you believe that he who dies with the most toys wins, do you know anybody like that? Anybody living that way today? 
used to see them on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach, right? People who think that it's all about stuff. If I can have more stuff and more houses and more toys, then my life is going to be great. But if you believe that, if it's a foundation for your convictions that shape your behavior, this is what your attitude is going to be like. Life is primarily about me. It's okay to use people to get what I want. You ever seen that? You ever been a part of that? If I can get away with it, it's okay. I mean, you see how that belief that it's all about getting the most toys, it can shape your convictions. On the other hand, and some of you may be identified with this, if you believe that life is about making other people happy, anybody struggle with that? A little bit of people pleasing? My life is about making other people happy. It's not about me, it's about you. But this would also be a foundation for other problematic convictions. One of these convictions would be, it's my job to please people. Some of you know what that feels like. It's my job to please people. If someone's unhappy, it means I need to try harder. If someone's treating me badly, it's my fault. Or let's try a third foundational belief, and this is a bit sensitive as Americans. We believe that independence is humanity's highest value, right? It's all about independence. If you don't have independence, then you don't have anything. But if you take it to an extreme, we see this in our country now. I have my rights. I'm not worried about your rights. I'm, I care about my rights. I have my rights. And you can't make me. You can't make me do that. I have my rights. And then as we're seeing now across our country, I'll submit to authority. Sure, I'll submit to authority if I agree with it. And if I don't agree with it, you, know, you, you can't make me because I have my rights. As a follower of Jesus, I can affirm the good at each point of view. But I also recognize that each one in and of itself is not a complete picture of the people that God's calling us to be. So if you and I want to avoid a faulty foundation, where can we turn? Where can we turn? No one wants to be a bully, because that's what happens with the first one. If it's all about me, I start to bully people. And some people are good at hiding this, right? It's all about them, but they're really nice. They smile. They're polite. But in the end, it's all about getting their way. That's the bully. And no one wants to be a victim, right? If it's all about making other people happy and deferring all the time, nobody wants to be a victim. And nobody wants to be entitled. It's all about my rights. My rights. Nobody wants to be entitled. So what does God mean? He recommends that we turn to the Word of God. He wants our faith to be shaped by the Word of God. And that faith is going to result in beliefs that will eventually form into convictions that can help guide our lives. Today we're going to take a brief look at two events in the life of Abraham. In the first event, God calls him to leave everything he knows behind for a promise that has not yet been fulfilled. In the second event, he calls Abraham to give up that so firstly, he says, leave everything you have, and I'm going to give you something that you've been wanting. I'm going to give you something. And then the second event, he asks him to give up that promise. And as we'll see, God's faithfulness in response to Abraham's faith in the first event convinced him to obey even when it didn't make sense in the second event. And what we're going to see today is where the foundation for our convictions 
turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be covering verses 1 through 4 to begin with. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God asked Abram to leave everything behind. Everything. To leave behind his family. To leave behind his country. To leave behind his home. Everything he knew just for a promise. Just for a guarantee from God. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. But it's not for Abraham's benefit. It's not for Abraham's sake. He says, so that you will be a blessing. And in you and through your offspring, which Abraham doesn't yet have. You know, he's been waiting a long time to have a child, to have a son, to carry on the family name. But he says, in you, through you, all the families on earth shall be blessed. And from this point on, we don't know why. I mean, scripture says that his ancestors, they were, they were worshiping other gods. I'm not sure why Abraham took this word from God and just accepted it and acted on it, but he did incredibly. But from this point on, for the rest of his life, Abraham chooses to allow his faith in God to act like a compass. And that's our first point for today. Abraham's faith was a compass. Now, what does a compass do? Does anybody still use those? We've all got GPS now, God, you know, so we can, we can call that our God positioning system. Directs you. Compass directs you. You know, it used to be when we were in jungle camp and missions training, um, I'm glad they don't still do this, but years ago they said they would take the, the recruits, because they're preparing for jungle ministry, and they would drop them in the middle of a forest with a compass and a, and a knapsack. And their chore was to get back to base camp. But they didn't give them any help, and all they had was a compass. But how does that compass help us? Guides us. It lets us know what direction to go in. But if your compass is bad, are you going to get where you need to go? So Abraham's faith was a compass. In other words, from that point on, all of Abraham's decisions would be viewed through a lens of his faith. Several years ago, a simple thought from a little book by Charles Monroe Sheldon. You probably didn't know where this came from. First published in 1896, took the American Christian nation by storm. And I would encourage you to pick up this little book. It's a really interesting read. It's called In His Steps. In the book, on a Friday morning, a man out of work called Jack Manning goes to the, the front door of the preacher's house, knocks on the door, says, I'm in trouble. I don't have a job. I need help. The preacher kind of you know, placates him for a few minutes in the conversation and says, I'm really busy. I've got to work on my Sunday sermon. Closes the door, goes back to work. Well, that following Sunday, the man shows up in church. It's very uncomfortable. He goes up after the service, stands in front of the church, and says, I'm, I'm not accusing anybody, I'm just stating facts. I need help. I'm struggling. And y'all aren't helping. He kind of pointed out their apathy. He pointed out the fact that they weren't willing to do anything to help. And then at that moment, he collapsed. And several days, several days later, he died. That next Sunday, Henry Maxwell, who's deeply moved by the events of the past week, he presents a challenge to his congregation. 
And he says these powerful words. He says, I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to do anything. In, in this next week, in these next weeks of your lives, these next months, any time you have a decision to make, I want you to ask this question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And the rest of the book focuses on different church members who encounter normal life situations with a different perspective. One woman chooses not to marry a man whose who has no direction or values in life. One person refuses to pursue a, a, a position at work because it, values, it violates his ethics. And incredible results occur. So what would Jesus do? Well, certainly Abraham's faith was his compass. But what about you? Is your faith in God your compass in life? When you approach a situation, when you approach a decision, is your first question, what would God have me do? What would Jesus do? Is your faith your compass in life? Well, because Abraham's faith was his compass, when God asked him something to do something specific, Abraham was willing to obey. This is because the second point is that obedience is the response of faith. You want to know what somebody believes? You want to know what you believe? Look at what you do. Look at what I do. Obedience is the response of faith. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, out of, to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So God said, go to this land. And then when Abraham's walking around in the land, God says, I'm going to give it to you. Look around. Look, look all around you, Abraham. It's all yours. And Abraham didn't even know where he was going at the time. You know, something special happens when you and I begin to form patterns of obedience. You know, we're not perfect, right? We make mistakes, we come up short, but we're slowly moving from inconsistent to consistent. Meaning that there's, you know, when we're young in our faith, we, we start realizing what God wants us to do or not do, and, and occasionally we get it right. And then over time, we get it right more and more often. And then as we grow in our faith, we become more and more consistent with our obedience. And over a period of time, we begin to experience that faith works. You remember when you were first saved? And there wasn't an immediate change. Things didn't, didn't immediately improve altogether. But over time, you found out, I'm in a better and better position. My relationships are healthier. My outlook is more positive. I'm beginning to impact people for God. And, and you see that faith works. Following God's ways and living according to his values, it's, let's be honest, it's uncomfortable in the short term, isn't it? Is it comfortable for you to stand out from all your peers and all your coworkers and all your family members and be different and have different beliefs and different values and different behaviors? No. But in the long run, boy, it puts you in a really good position. And I, I thank God every day. I mean, I have a, I have a beautiful family. I have a, a church to serve. And, it, and, you know, when I was 17 years old, I was in a very different place. I had no direction. I felt my, my convictions were weak. My standards were low. I was struggling. I didn't have purpose. And now I'm 37. Took a little while, you know. Took 20 years. But I'm in a much better place. Now, in the short term, it was uncomfortable. In the short term, I felt embarrassed. I, di I didn't want to submit myself to God. But in the long run, wow. I mean, I bet, I bet if I asked uh, any one of you, if you didn't have faith in Jesus Christ, where would you be? 
you didn't have faith in Jesus Christ, where would you be right now? What kind of life might you have lived? What kind of decisions might you have made? Where might you be? And you'd tell me some scary possibilities, just like I could tell you some scary possibilities. I remember talking to a friend one time, and it said, where would you be if you weren't a Christian? He said, I'd be living, living by the beach, probably done some drugs, been depressed, might have committed suicide. Because without faith, it puts us in a bad spot in the long run. So when we begin the habit of obedience, like Abraham now, he, he believes enough to obey. He believes enough to obey. And he experiences God's faithfulness. God sustains Abraham through many challenging situations, and then he provides a child. He provides Isaac, the child of promise, and he comes through. And so God's faithfulness to Abraham in response to Abraham's faith, it convinces him. It convinces him to form convictions, habits, patterns. This is the way I'm going to do things. This is not the way I'm going to do things. And that's the natural progression. We go from faith to God's faithfulness to then it becomes, this is going to be my way. This is going to be the pattern for my life. These are going to be the convictions that I will live by. Because convictions, number three, convictions are the fruit of faith. Convictions are the fruit of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, because this was the ultimate test. I mean, he had seen God's faithfulness. It, had, it, it didn't make a lot of sense, but it began to make sense. Okay, you're taking me to this other land. You're providing my heir. It's all coming together, God. And then God says, now take that promise, that beautiful child, sacrifice. Give him up. Give him back to me. But by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God made a big promise to bless all nations through Isaac, and now he's saying, kill Isaac. And it doesn't make any sense. But Abraham has already developed the habit of obedience. He's begun to trust in God's faithfulness. And listen to this verse. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. If you know that story. God stayed his hand at the last moment and provided a substitute for Isaac. A very traumatic story. So God's faithfulness in response to Abraham's faith convinced him to obey when the stakes were high. And they get high, don't they? In your life, in my life, the stakes get high. And when the stakes get high, we, did, we see our convictions are tested. Because they're not convenient sometimes. And we want to lower that standard and make an exception. It is at this point when we are fully convinced that our faith produces convictions. And experience teaches us when it comes to our convictions, our bottom line today is that our convictions determine our destination, don't they? Your convictions, your standards, those things you will do, those things you won't do, they determine your destination in life. With our faith in God as our internal compass, we are well positioned to form convictions that will help us to keep on track as we journey through life. You know, our convictions establish boundaries beyond which we go at our own peril, right? But pity the person without person who doesn't have any faith in God, they're not, they don't have any guidance, they don't have any standards, 
What's going to happen to them? Their convictions are going to be dangerously malleable, right? They, they change and move. Or maybe their, their standards are just not existent. And then we'll give in to temptation to have situ, what we call situational ethics. In other words, I wouldn't normally do this. You ever, you ever thought that? You ever seen somebody do that to rationalize something? And they just say, I, I wouldn't normally do this, but he's really cute. Or she's really cute, right? I wouldn't normally do this, but I really need the money. I wouldn't normally do this, but I've been under a lot of stress lately. I wouldn't normally do this, but just this once. And that reveals where our standards are. That reveals the strength of our convictions. And before we know it, we're going with the flow of culture. And as we all know, going with the flow will lead to, oh no, right? You think of somebody that you care about, maybe a season in your life where you just went with the flow. You went with the flow. Didn't start doing what everybody else was doing, wearing what everybody else was wearing, saying what everybody else was saying, drinking what everybody else was drinking. And you started going with the flow, and then all of a sudden you ended up in this bad spot. You said, oh, no, I didn't see this coming. That's because you didn't have the convictions that you needed to guide you that come from that compass that comes from your faith in the Lord. You know, the world will be only too happy to shape your values and opinions, right? Just turn on the television and watch it for an hour. You can you could probably make a good list of some of the values. But here's a few snapshot phrases that I grabbed out. Just do it. Okay, how do I apply that in my life? Just do it. Well, what do you think about this? How is this going to affect me? Just do it. Right, that's the old Nike saying. I mean, it sounds like a really good maxim, just do it. But when you're actually facing a conundrum, a moral conundrum, what should I do or not do, and, and that phrase doesn't really help, does it? But it sounds really good. What about this one? Follow your heart. You know, Major says, I'm facing a really difficult decision, or Stephen, or, or when you're young and you're facing a, a trial or a challenge, you say, what should I do? And they say, just follow your heart. Well, the problem is the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. Above all things, we can deceive ourselves into thinking something's right that's not right. What about this one? Don't judge. Hey, hey, don't judge. Well, what happens when somebody's committing a crime? Don't judge. I mean, it doesn't apply, right? Or how about this one? Be yourself. Just be yourself. It's okay. Well, what if being yourself means you're doing something that's harmful to other people? So, the world wants to shape us. But if we follow culture, it will leave us with strong opinions. Just talk to young folks today, like teenagers, 20-somethings. They've got strong opinions about things. In fact, my niece, you know, you talk to her, she knows everything. They've got strong opinions, but they've got very low standards. So your faith compass is a big, big deal. So where are you in terms of faith? Are you guided by an accurate compass? Has God's faithfulness boosted your faith to the point where you've got convictions, things that you will do, things that you won't do, that you won't budge? Has God convinced you to set certain boundaries for yourself and your children and grandchildren? Have you communicated to them why the limits are in place? I was talking to my kids yesterday. And, you know, you've probably heard this many times, like I hear it more than I would like to. But they have. But they watch. But they say, but they go, but they do all these things. They say all these things. They have all this freedom. They have all these things. What's wrong with it? 
right? You ever heard that? What's wrong with it? And we're trying to teach them that's the wrong question. Son, daughter, what's right with it? What's right about it? What's going to help you? What's going to move you in the right direction? But they want to ask, well, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? So we explain to them, when we see them operating according to the pattern of the world, Romans 12, we get concerned. Because if you just start going with the flow, it's going to lead to oh no. And oh no means costs, not just for the children, but it's going to cost us. It's going to wreak havoc in our lives. Here's a question you have to think about for just a moment. Do you tend to be more thermostat or thermometer? Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? Meaning, do you set the temperature in the room? Or does the temperature influence you? Are you thermostat or are you a thermometer? Are you satisfied with your current destination? Are you satisfied with your future destination where things are trending? If not, maybe it's time to take a long look at the quality of your faith and convictions. And as Abraham found out, when he trusted God, God led him places he never expected to go. God did things for him he never expected to see. God asked things of him that, that felt impossible to give up. But in the end, God used him. God had a special plan for Abraham. Abraham, to this day, is still a household name. He went from being a nobody from nowhere to being a household name 2,000 plus years later because of his simple faith, his simple obedience and his perseverance because of his convictions. God convinced him through experience after experience after experience that he was trustworthy, that Abraham could place everything in his hands, that Abraham would, would be willing to obey even when it didn't make sense because he would become convinced that God was trustworthy. You know, God wants you and I to be full of faith. He wants us to see things as they really are. And that's the only way we can see the world as it is, as we see it through God's eyes. God wants us to have informed standards, wise boundaries. As we said in the story of David, God wants to protect us from regrets. He doesn't want those regrets to eat up valuable space in our hearts and be like a sinking Stone that takes up space. He wants to protect us. God wants you to experience that faith works so that you will become convinced that obeying and following Him will lead you to a satisfying life, a life of service, a life of significance. We all want to make a difference with our lives, and this is how faith in God that moves us to form convictions by which we live our lives. Abraham, through simple obedience and perseverance, he still is known to this day. I mean, you have no idea what God wants to do through you. I mean, it, you're never too young, and it's never too late, right? Amen? It's Amen. never too late. God has things that he wants to do through you, and he doesn't want you to miss out on doing what really matters. So my prayer for each of us today is that we would be moved by God, by his faithfulness to become convinced, to live by standards that he endorses that are from his word, so that we can be used by him to do those things that he wants us to do. Pray with me. God, thank you for this day and this chance to read your, your word. And thank you for the story of Abraham and the encouraging lessons we find there. God, may we be willing to be responsive to you as Abraham was. To learn from you, God, that through our habitual obedience, God, that it would help us to form solid convictions. 
so that we would become the kind of people that we're consistent, we're predictable in a good way. We become pillars. We become cornerstones in our communities and families and workplaces. People know what to expect from us. They know where we're coming from because they know that everything we do and say, the things that we don't do and say are rooted in our faith, our unwavering faith and confidence in a God who loves us so much that he was willing to send his only son to the cross to die on our behalf, to die in our place when we deserve the punishment. May we learn to trust you and believe in you to that degree, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.